Welcome to the Western Vowel Podcast Series, with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, We Have Nothing to Fear But Fear Itself, Questioning the Root of All of Our Fears, and was given by Matthew Files on November 28, 2020, in Prescott, Arizona. Matthew has facilitated spiritual groups that support people to look deeper into their process, formulate their own questions, and become responsible for their choices. Matthew Files. I don't know if you all read the little blurb about the talk. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. It's actually from a longer quote. It says, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Well, that was by FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, all about the war. I'm not so sure about converting retreat into advance, but I really liked the adjectives he used to describe fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which uh, is kind of on the extreme side, I think, because it doesn't always show up that way. You know, it can show up as simple anxiousness or worry about something, one thing or another. We've got plenty to worry about, don't we? And there doesn't really seem to be any way around it. I know that there's all kinds of techniques when we find ourselves caught by fear. There's all kinds of techniques to ease the fear, lessen the fear, deal with the fear, work with the fear. But I'm not really sure that that's the way to go. I'm not sure it really changes anything, except that maybe it makes life a little easier because we don't have the stress of this fear. I see things about how to practice or how to meditate in, the, in these difficult times. And I'm like, well, no different than any other time. What's the difference? It seems like that question comes from being surprised, taken by surprise by the current affairs, both politically and uh, medically, since those seem to be the, the two biggest fear generators these days, because global warming has completely taken a back seat. So there's nothing to fear about there anymore because it's not in the news. So why worry about it? And the thing is, why worry about it if it is in the news? So there's, there's that whole level of fear, fear of all these things that are happening out there in the world, in our lives. And I came across a, a quote today, which I'll read. It's by one E.J. Gold. And he says, the only way you could fear something outside is to have that thing inside you. There's no other way. If it isn't inside you, it can't affect you outside. And I like that because I believe it to be true. It really ties into my ideas about us human beings in general 
uh, when we find ourselves saying something like, I don't understand how that person could do that, that kind of thing. And my answer to that is because you haven't looked close enough at yourself because it's all in there. We've got it all inside us. The fear, all of it. So we do have fear in us. You could say that it's built in to the organism. I really don't think there's a real viable way to undo it, not in, not in any simple fashion anyway. I think part of the, the big difficulty that we all have with fear and strong negative, in quotation marks, emotions like that, feelings, is that we don't want them to be there. So we want to, we want to do something to make them go away. But that seems rather counterproductive. What seems productive to me is to simply be with it when it shows up, whatever it is. And since tonight we're talking about fear, it's fear, but it could apply to anything. And that's probably one of the most difficult things to do because it tends to be rather unpleasant, even, if it's, even in, in its milder forms of worry and anxiousness. But when it escalates to things like unreasoning, unjustified terror, gets a little more difficult for the most part. I'm not really talking about extremes because there's always exceptions to, to pretty much any idea. So this is just like an idea I'm putting out of being with fear rather than trying to do something about fear, rather than trying to work with fear, rather than trying to make it better. I'm suggesting just leave it alone. Don't do anything with it. Just let it, let it have its own life, if that's possible, because, because it already does have its own life, in a sense, because it seems to show up rather, <laughs> rather randomly, unbidden, as an intruder in our ordinarily peaceful lives. And all it took was some event or somebody's words or something we saw. We run away with that and just continue to generate this fear. Another word that ties in very nicely with fear is uh, the language of scarcity. The way that we human beings are wired up, I know some people probably have a hard time with wholesale accusations, but I include pretty much the whole human race in this. I was talking about that one time when somebody was arguing, and they said, well, have you met everyone? No, I said, no, I haven't. Um, so scarcity. The way we're wired up as human beings is that pretty much we see everything as being scarce. Love is scarce. Money is scarce. Food is scarce. Water is scarce. Air is scarce. Human life is scarce. There's a lot of fear in that. There's a lot of fear in not getting enough or not getting my share at least but not getting enough, not getting enough love, enough money, not getting enough food. And yes, there are people starving. And that's a real thing for people. But what I'm suggesting is that the fear element or the scarcity element, even though I said fear just kind of shows up, scarcity is actually the place we live out of our lives out of until we don't anymore. But 
for most of the human race, that's that's the context of our lives. That's the mood of our life is scarcity, not enough. And intentionally trying to, to create abundance in our lives is basically a strategy to do something about the scarcity. It won't work. Yes, another quote from Mr. E.J. Gold, where he talked about um, security. And the remedy for insecurity is not security. So the remedy for scarcity is not abundance. Because it's still, it's still just the strategy of making things better, rather than actually being with the scarcity or the fear and allowing it because you, you, it's like it's the kind of thing that we have to get to know like we know a friend we have to be intimate with fear intimate with scarcity without trying to change it or do anything about it very difficult process but as far as i can tell it's the only thing that works it's it, it's interesting doing this talk and not all being in the same room. My wife, Rabia, was asking me tonight at dinner, she says, so you're going to inspire people tonight? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I was thinking about that today, and I realized I didn't have much interest in inspiring people in the way that I usually think of you know, being inspired. I find the normal way that inspiration shows up Tony Robbins, everybody know Tony Robbins, great inspirational speaker, you know, really gets people charged up and jazzed up and like doing stuff. And that's what passes for inspiration. And uh, my idea of inspiration is rather than jazzing people up is to settle people down and consider looking closer at our own lives, which tends to be rather sobering to me that's my experience of rather than inspiring you know like jazzed up yeah let's do this that kind of inspiration but just to look closer and i find that inspiring you know i've been to lots lots of talks where people come out and go like because the speaker was talking about how difficult spiritual work is and, you know, people come out and go, oh, that was so depressing. And I'm like, no, that was great. That was really good. I went to see a uh, long time ago, went to see Irina Tweedy speak when I was living in San Francisco. I don't know, there's about 300 people in the room. And that's what she was talking about. She was talking about the spiritual path and how difficult the spiritual path is. The struggle, because it, the way she was describing it was totally undoing the spiritual practitioner in terms of every level of who they take themselves to be. Somebody asked the question, they said, you've been talking so much about the struggle and the difficulties of the path. Can't the spiritual path just be walked with lightness and joy? <laughs> and without a bat in she says, I'm afraid not. You could have 300 people, you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, the room went totally still, and, and she got it. She got that that was a little too much for people to take in. So she backtracked a little bit. She says, well, that's my experience. And 
I like that kind of stuff. So onward with fear. This is great. This is from comes from the Zen master Dogen. He says, by eliminating disturbances, we redouble the disease. The very moment itself of eliminating is inevitably disturbance. They are simultaneous and are beyond simultaneousness. Disturbances always include the fact of trying to eliminate them. So by trying to eliminate fear, we double it. That's sobering to me. But I like that. I like, yeah, that's that's good. That's a good piece there. Because every cell in my body, when fear arises strong enough, says, I want to eliminate this sucker. And yet he's saying, well, if you try to eliminate, you're just going to cause more trouble for yourself. So just leave it alone. This is from Brad Warner, who's uh, one of my favorite Zen teachers. He says, I submit we are being lied to, manipulated, and made fools of. And I submit to you that the one lying, manipulating, and making fools of us is not Donald J. Trump, is not the DNC, is not the media, is not the liberal elite, is not the protesters, is not any of those things. I submit that we are being lied to, manipulated, and being made fools of by ourselves. So all the things he's naming are that currently, if we, if, we, if we stay abreast of the news, you know, because we feel we have to keep in touch with current events and know what's going on and be informed, those are the fear producers, along with COVID-19 and all that. To me, it's, it's like when we buy into that and allow those externals to generate fear in us, we're being fooled by ourselves because we don't understand ourselves very well when we're allowing that to happen. And another quote, it's one that I don't totally agree with, but everybody knows this quote, particularly if you're a science fiction fan. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And that's from, uh, that's from Dune, from the, the Order of the Bene Gesserits. That was their, not their code, but it's what they used when fear arose to deal with fear. And I really like it. I like it because it's implying allowing the fear to pass over you and not take root in you. The idea being that which nothing can take root in. The part I disagree about is actually the very beginning where they say, I must not fear. I feel like I'm saying is that we must fear or we must allow fear because we already are fearing. Anyway, and the dilemma I see is that we already are fearing and we don't allow it. We keep it at bay, we keep the lid on it because it can interfere because fear can become panic. Fear is fear and then there's panic and we don't want to panic. Fear has usefulness. Fear keeps you from walking out in front of a bus, keeps you from walking down dark alleys, things like that in the middle of the night. It has its place for sure. It also has a, a, um, it's like a virus itself. It just kind of worms its way into everywhere where it becomes, it becomes hard to tell the difference between what's useful fear 
and what's not useful. You know, because fear, fear is useful as a protective mechanism for the organism, for this. When you're driving through Yellowstone Park, you know, it's a healthy fear that keeps you from getting out of your car to feed the bears. That's a healthy kind of fear because, you know, damage or death can come to this, this organism. But where it's unhealthy is when somebody you live with says something to you and you take it as something like about, you know, the shoes you always leave lying around the room and you take it as a threat, you know, to who you are, as if, as if it's the same kind of threat to your physical well-being. And that's the problem with ego is it does. It can't tell the difference. And we get caught by that. Let me open it up to questions right now. To go back to your original quote, um, quote from FDR, which gets shortened for convenience sake, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the context of that? Wasn't he, um, didn't he speak, uh, he say those words just after Pearl Harbor? I believe so, yes. Um, okay, so the country had just been attacked. He was talking to the whole country. He was speaking to the context of being drawn into a war that was already going on in Europe, but we hadn't been engaged in it. Mm-hmm. And this was a decisive moment. So mm-hmm. to give it some context, when he said at the end, what was it? Going forward yeah. instead of retreat, advancing instead of retreating. Given that context, I understand it much more clearly in that he was, because what he was doing was he was inviting people to actually go and fight in this war. And so um, and he had to like encourage people to not be afraid to have to do the next thing, which he saw needed to be done. For myself, I see in myself the tendency to go towards the thing that I fear. And it's taken me a lot of years to be able to acknowledge that. And the example I have of that is working with people who have physical injury or, or head injury and things like that. People who are quadriplegic, for example. And I did that for quite a number of years. And I realized at one point that it was because I was afraid of being paralyzed, of, being, of not being able to go about my life without the use of my body. And so to get close to these people, they, they actually became teachers for me. They didn't want to know about that, though. I didn't, they didn't want to talk to me about being an example and all of that stuff. So I had to kind of step back my spiritual, well, my spiritual woo-woo about it. But I did pay attention. And over the years, uh, I, I think it has been very, very helpful so that now I'm able to be with people who are dying. I couldn't have done that at one point. But that's, that's to get closer to the question that I have to you about how are you doing with the fear of death? So for me, still afraid of death. My, my aim is um, not to make death okay for myself. So my approach has been... A, along the lines of what I've been talking about tonight, which is just allowing that fear of death to be there without doing anything about it, without trying to change it, without, particularly without the intention of smoothing out all those rough edges so, so okay, death is now okay with me and I'm okay with dying. That's not, that's not, if that happens, you know, that's, it's okay. 
but that's not my, I don't have that intention. I think that this is a topic that kind of gets glanced over. It's like we don't really want to own it somehow as part of something that we look at in ourselves. And I think that it's really very healthy to talk about it. Do you mean fear of specific, just fear or fear of death specifically? Were you being specific about death or just fear in general? I think it starts there, but fear in general is not, it's not something that it, that we're comfortable talking about. There's an aspect of like looking at spiritual path from this kind of unexamined, yeah, but I really want it to be better than this. I mean, listen, the death process can be very messy. And now I have personal experience around that. It can be very messy indeed. And to how to, how to maintain and be a stand for human dignity in those messy times, I think it's useful for us to talk about that before they're here. When we're all kind of, you know, we're sitting in our little homes and we're having our cups of tea and everything is nice, nice. You know, we can, we can stand up, we can, we can get to get, we can be heroes when, it, when we're needed, we can go there, we can do what's needed. But we don't want to do it if it's just uncomfortable, you know. I mean, death is something that we can face, but dying is a process. And it's going to bring up stuff that if you haven't looked at it, it's going to bring it up. That's what I appreciate about you bringing this forward. Thanks. Anybody else? I was going to ask you about the distinction between going towards something and just letting things occur as they do, just being with what is as it comes. To me, it seems like fear and death just come and like to, to walk toward it would seem to be not accepting circumstances as they are to make it possible to relate with fear or something. What would you say to that? So to me, we have ideas about how things should be, about how I, I have ideas about how I should be in relationship to fear, in relationship to anything, in relationship to death, in relationship to love, relationship to like people, have ideas. But then there's what is. And what is is how I'm relating. Let's take relating to people right now. That's how I'm relating to people. And so to me, that's what, that's what is. And that's what I have to be with first. Like it's real easy to see some aberrant behavior of my own and go, oh, I, I need to change that. You know how I am with other people. I, oh, I'm such, you know, I'm such an asshole, whatever. You know, I have to be, I have to be different. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think we have to be different. I think we have to be the way we really be the way we are right now. And just, uh, just as a starting place, just like leave it at that. Like to be with just the way I am right now with whatever it is, whether it's death or fear or anger or sadness or joy. So you wouldn't say that it's um, useful to go towards something 
Only money. (laughs) (laughs) Joke. Uh, Go towards towards something like... Rather than to just kind of let things happen and assume that when they do happen and you get thrust into fear, I mean, what's the point of being worried about it ahead of time? When, when, when something comes up that produces a fear, that's the perfect time to make use of it. Yeah, I mean, worry is, maybe, maybe someone can help me out, but I don't know of any time that worry has actually like paid off. <laughs> you know, where there's, where there's actually been a benefit for anybody involved in the worry process. But in terms of fear about uh, paralysis, she went toward a situation that helped her learn how to relate to it. Whether that kind of practice is useful or whether it's useful to, if there is an either or, uh, of just allowing things to come to you when it's time for it to come to you. I was just thinking of um, two fourth way teachers and uh, something they were talking about once about... uh, Follow your dread. And that was, that was their recommendation to people. Follow your dread. Find out, get in touch with what dread, fear, you know, find out what your dread is and go towards that. I'm not so sure. I think I just take a different approach. I wonder if some wisdom might be helpful there because I, I look at my fear and my habit would be to avoid things I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it would be a good practice for me to, say, speak up when I'm in a public venue when I don't really want to. But I have a friend who can't not chase tigers if there are tigers in the woods. And so, in a sense, he's always facing what he's afraid of because he punishes himself later if he hasn't, you know, he has sort of a I, I, I don't want to put it into words too much, but like he needs to be heroic. Yeah. Right. And so him going towards what he's afraid of is, you know, it doesn't look that skillful from the outside. So maybe there's some difference depending on your wisdom and what you see in yourself and what, you know, it might not be good to tell him go towards what you're afraid of. Yeah. And I mean, and, and once you become really good at something like that, going towards what you're afraid of, it can really just become a habit. And you can go completely unconscious around it. And you're just a good, you're just a, a good, like going after the fear machine. But for me, I don't particularly like heights. So there's no way you're going to get me to jump out of an airplane with a parachute. It's not going to happen. And I don't feel, I don't feel like that I have to go through that, go towards that, to face that fear, because I could be wrong, but I think I'm like most people, we have all kinds of fear. I have all kinds of fears, fears of relationship, from fear of relationship and fear of death to fear of spiders. I swear to God, (laughs) things like that. There's, There's a multitude of fears. And I look at that and I go, you know, I could spend a lifetime going after each fear and pinning it down and wrestling it to the ground. I don't have the time and energy for that. I I just want to make it clear that this is not something that I decided to do and then I ended up doing it. 
it's what I discovered while I was in the midst of doing it. Yeah. That was something about myself. And then as I look back, I looked at other things in my life and I went, wait a minute, there's a pattern emerging here. But I think that that's what happens on a spiritual path when you're are when you are dedicated and you're consistent with a certain practice things become um, apparent to you they mm-hmm. reveal themselves to you and you could say okay you know okay what am i learning here what have i learned here what can i pick up what can i put down where can i be of some use to myself and others so in other words it's kind of a refinement process but i didn't start out like that <laughs> I didn't start out like that at all, but I found myself in a very useful situation with people. You know, I didn't have to get paralyzed in order to get the lessons of what do you do when you can't, you know, you can't manipulate your physical world and your surroundings. What do you do when you can't wash your dishes? When you have to have somebody else, when you have to rely on somebody else to do for you what you automatically unconsciously do so Mm -hmm. these these got this all kinds of questions got revealed to me without me even asking the questions it's revealed it's not decided at the outset that's a good distinction i like that thank you not especially about this but i'm remembering years ago when i was practicing intently i just sat in the car and there was nobody home in a good way, not, you know, there was, there's, there was nobody there. And after two minutes, five minutes, you know, some commanding part of the South came back and said, thank God you weren't driving. And I realized there was all this fear of not existing. Yeah. That I was afraid to have a quiet mind. I just wanted to say that that was for a short time, terrifying. Um, although terrifying seems overstated. Actually, actually, I think terror might not be overstating it because, because what you're talking about is I or me not being there, in a sense, not being in charge in that moment. And to the I or me that came back and said, oh, good thing you weren't driving, you know, that is terrifying. You know, to ego, we can call that ego. That's, that's a terrifying notion. It doesn't want you to go there again, right. ever. So it'll do its it'll do its best to keep you from going there. Yeah. But the thing yeah. is, he had no choice. I mean, he didn't plan it. If I'm correct, I don't think he was sitting there in his car going, "Ah, how am I going to freak out ego here?" I mean, I think it just arose, which is really a basis for the conversation. Is to to go towards something, how do you really go towards anything? I mean, you might have the all the intention in the world. Are you going towards it, or are you just being? You know, you're just on the conveyor belt of life, and you know the next stop is around the corner, and you know it's a McDonald's. Oh, okay, a McDonald's. Oh, wait a minute, it's it's a it's a dining room at the Hilton. Oh, it's dining room at the Hilton. It just seems as if we're just all of a sudden. Oh, here we are, and. And what what are we going to do with it? To assume that we know why these things are happening, for me, every time I thought that I knew or made an assumption about why this thing is happening, it always blew up in my face. And it's happening because it happened. You know, fear of death or fear of dying or fear of losing a loved one. 
it's going to rise, it's going to subside. And like you were saying, Matthew, I think, you know, you just sort of let it happen and try not to freak out too much. The approach that I found particularly challenging is, uh, I mean, the idea of it, (laughs) then applying it as something else, is uh, welcoming what comes. Because what comes is going to come. But my attitude toward it really makes a difference. And I've come more to consider when things come that that are difficult to consider the idea of welcoming that. And that, that's, a, that's a very different approach to life. When the unpleasant circumstances, um, you know, the unfavorable circumstances of life present themselves. If you welcome what is as it is, then you're welcoming what is. But fear, from my personal experience, has never anything to do with now. Fear is always a projection in the future. I'm afraid of what's going to happen or not happen. But it has never to do with right now, what's happening right now. Death will be very different from any imagination I have right now about death. When it comes, it comes, and I can have a context for what comes as welcoming or I can, you know, start fighting it. So my question is more like, has fear anything to do with what is now? Yeah, I, I'm thinking about that, and I, you may be right. Because even if, I was just thinking, I was thinking, well, what if, what if I was out walking and I met a mountain lion and was like eight feet away from me? I'd be scared shitless. But that's still in the future. Because in the moment, nothing has actually happened. But at the same time, like there's really no problem with that in that situation because that fear is going to get me out of there. I'm not going to go in and up and pet the damn thing. So in, in terms of going towards things, you know, I'm not going to go up and pet the mountain lion because I know something about them. So, yeah, I would say it, probably, it is in the future. Even, even in a case like that, at the same time, it's arising in the present. What is, is fear arising. You know, that's what is. Although it's about the future. But the sensation of fear in the body is what's happening right now, right this minute. Actually, it is as I talk, <laughs> just to be clear about that. So it's... Yes and no, as I, dis- as I dissect your question. Fear is about the, what might happen, but it's also fear itself is in the moment. It arises in the body. The sensations in the body are right now. That's what we have to be with, is the sensations. So when I talk about being with it, that's what I'm talking about, is being with the sensations that are in the body. And an interesting thing, that you know that can be done with sensations is you can look at them you can you can in a sense analyze them or at least name them fear arises and there are sensations that arise in the body like you know sweaty hands sweaty armpits racing heart 
pinching in in the uh, in the head, you know, your eyes or whatever it is. It could, it's going to be different for different people. So we ha- everybody has their own particular sensations. Maybe the fear is strong enough. I've had it like my legs go weak. They literally go weak. They're rubber. And yet when I, when I look at the different sensations and I name them, they're just these names of sensations. And I realized that they were things that were randomly put together to show up at a certain time in unison with the label fear on them. And all those things combined. But when I started to dissect it, the whole thing starts to dissolve in front of me because they're actually individual, like completely random habits were created, but congealed together to make this thing that I named fear. It leads into my second question, because you said, I, I am with, or to be with what is. As you said, the fear arises as a sensation. So what I see is there is a physical sensation in the body. So what is it about? And then I can look at the story that I have about the future that creates the physical sensation. That's how it goes for me, because I'm like, oh, okay, what's happening? Oh, yeah, I'm talking to Matthew in public. Okay, <laughs> do they think I'm stupid? Do I look stupid? You know, all these things are happening at the same time while I'm talking to you and while I'm trying to look good. But it's all a story about the future. It has nothing to do with what what is really happening here. I'm just evaluating a question that I don't really have an answer for. And that's why I'm on this talk, because I'm looking for an answer to a question that I look deeply into. But what I see is my sensation is related to the story I have about something in the, as you said, maybe immediate future. But it's just a story. It's completely unrelated to what is. Okay, so what, what do you do then with the story? You know, when it, when it becomes like right in my face, I look at the story. Oh, okay, there's the story. I'm, I, I need to look good. And if I don't look good, I'm afraid of looking bad. Okay, fine. Okay, thank you. The, the title of the talk had to do with the root of fear. What is the root of fear? How about incarnation as a human being? (laughs) Can't speak for other species. In our incarnation, there's an assumption that's made that we are separate from what sustains us. Simply by the fact we now recognize our individuation as, as a body. And that's the context of scarcity that we're born into, that that we have been, you know, separated from, I mean, we don't have the language for it at the time, because we're talking about something that happens really early on. And all the fears, all the fears we have, our whole life of scarcity comes out of the simple fact that we incarnated. It's not based on an event that happened or some bad thing. That's what I mean, some bad thing that happened to us. So we live our whole lives with this knot 
in the gut of scarcity, of survival, of the fear of not surviving. We attach lots of things to that, basically in the domains of money, food, and sex. And if we don't have, if things don't meet up with our ideas of how they should, we're not surviving. You know, or, or if we can't get any of them, then we're not going to survive. Those three categories are pretty wide-ranging. I was thinking when we were talking before, like we all have ways of approaching fear and dealing with fear and working with fear and making it so fear is not a problem in our lives. And the only way that fear will never be a problem in our lives is if we actually are able to step out of the whole context of scarcity completely. I think you're right. I would have said it, you know, it's the fear of fear. It's our fear of fear. I think fear arises for everyone. It's hardwired. Wherever it came from, it's part of the incarnation. And I think, you know, fear is healthy and sometimes it gets in the way. But I agree with you. I think it's the scarcity, it's the fear of having fear that makes us freeze, not necessarily fear. I think there's no way around it. It's just it comes up and you deal with it. However, what I hear you suggesting is be with it. Just be with it. You know, don't intellectualize. Don't try to say where it came from. Don't try to see where it's going, but just ride it, you know, take a seat on on the fear train, which I think is what you're saying, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, okay. (laughs) Also from E.J. Gold, it's a description of what he calls the chronic defense mechanism. He says, because of its fear of not being able to reintegrate the sleeping state, the machine has learned to defend itself against the waking state. Each individual has a particular defense mechanism called the chronic, which is triggered off whenever the machine is threatened with awakening. And to me, that like when you're talking, what you're describing for us, this is a perfect description of that. Uh, Matthew, what's the source of that? It's the human biological machine. All right, thank you. That fear can interfere with our spiritual work, keeps us from entering the waking state, which I would say is probably most of the time. And that's what he calls the chronic, the chronic defense mechanism. I think it's the same thing, chief feature. And, you know, if we have that fear, and this has, this has to do with the fear of, like, me not being in charge, not running the show. Again, it's all about the future in that case still, because we actually... We actually don't know exactly what's going to happen in the waking state. But this defense mechanism is terrified of being in a different state. It defends everything that I have my name attached to as me. Everything. It includes everything. Even like my little tchotchkes in my chop dresser drawer. <laughs> all those little things. Because those are all me. And I know. Most of us actually have reference points for the waking state. Even if it's just for a moment, like you were talking about in your car, 
and then it's gone. But it's but it's a reference point for something real. And I think an, a really important thing is is to is that here's my theory. My theory is that if I can be just simply be with fear and not be afraid of fear, you know, whenever it arises, it's not going to be a problem in terms of my access to the waking state. It's a step in that direction of also allowing the waking state to show up when it needs to show up. But fear, if it's not my friend, will interfere with that. And I think that's a good place to end.